Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Adkins. And uh, today I'm here with Ben Mandrell. And uh, and I'm feeling a little I'm feeling a little awkward right now because um, I'm not recording in my house. I am in a nondescript location in a church uh, off of the like newcomers room, and I'm talking to John Acuff. So I'm just waiting for commentary. Uh, I'm just like, what? Did they sell all the art? It was like, where? Like, was there a fire sale? Like, tides are down, and they're like, we can't afford wall art. Like, it actually, just like, I actually feel like it looks a little bit like. You're at the hotel. You're at the hospital lobby, and your wife is about to give birth, and you're in that room. He's about to waiting? unfold one of those chairs that he's supposed to sleep on. I've got a uh, no. I've got four kids. We figured out how that occurs, and we've taken care of it. Four. So there you go. Where that that won't be happening again. Um, but okay, so my room remember. looks like a panic attack compared to yours. By the way, <laughs> like you look like you had to have stuff removed for safety, and mine looks like. Like it's four steps away from beautiful mind. Like I'm almost going to string twine and start connecting ideas. That's yeah, what it's hard say. for me to see your books. And uh, Ben and I've talked about this before because I'm one of those people that um, if I'm honest, I kind of judge people based on yeah, totally what the books are on their shelves. I get really, I try totally. to make eye contact as much as possible. And then I'm, oh, looking, yeah. I'm looking back there. Yeah, if you've got a live, laugh, love like sign on driftwood behind you, I'm like, oh man, oh man, that's tough. If you have a thing that says 30A is my happy place, yeah, it's everyone's happy place. Like that's not, what? You like 30A? Go figure. There's a, I think there's like a a marionette or- It's a a Waldo, Waldo. it's a Waldo. Yeah, it's it's from my wife's childhood. That I can tell it's not haunted. Um, And then in this corner, a bunch of Lego sets that were like, that I've done that I love. I love Lego sets because nothing, no part of my life has steps or instructions. Like what does be an author mean? Like what does be a public speaker mean? And to do a Lego, like a huge massive Porsche Lego set and follow instructions just turns my brain off. So that's what that corner is. And I, I would do the whole room, but my wife's like, no, I'll give you one shelf. So there's gonna, I'm gonna have to come to the end of that or de- develop some sort of other system. Well, that's good. I mean, at least you didn't kill something and hang it on your wall because I feel like that's what, uh, I mean, I do that, honestly. Um, but sometimes uh, can I, I feel ask, like, I, I'm, can I, I ask, feel, yeah, go for it. I have a leadership question. I know we're like talking like small talk here, but I have a really good leadership question to kick us off here with John. Sure. Okay, go. Can I butt in? Yes. I'm on your website, John. Uh, you're obviously a leadership speaker. There's a picture of you in like this stadium full of people. What has it been like over the last year as a guy who makes his, you know, your, what you do is speak to groups of people. Like I'm just, it's been super awesome. It's been super awesome. Um, (laughs) I remember last March being like, what a gift I've received. Um, no, I, last March I texted another, like another friend named Grant and I was like, I think the first half of the year is going to be tough for a lot of people. Like the first half, how adorable, how adorable. <laughs> and so, yeah. And the weird thing is I don't think people think that I lost my job cause it's a weird job. So they just, I don't even know if they know what I do, but I keep telling people like, no, like 50 events got postponed or canceled. And so I would say the first eight weeks, I was just a grumpy jerk um, to everyone around me and was super frustrated. And then I was like, you know what? I can either pine or I can plan. 
Like I can pine the old day. Oh, it was easier. Or I can plan like where we are. So jumped quickly, got a studio with my speakers bureau and I've done probably 40 virtual events now and figured out how do you do the rim of the bows? How do you make sure the audience is engaged? How do you, you know, like, how do you actually have enough energy level? Um, And so, yeah, that's been a challenge, but it's forced me. I always say like innovation is a classroom, like a crisis is an invitation. Like it's a, it's an invitation to things you wouldn't have learned willingly, but now you have to learn them. So I just, you know, I looked at it and was like, I started doing free pop-ins for client speaking clients as like, Hey, let me encourage your team for 15 minutes. And like my, the best part of my job where I, where I geek out leadership wise is I get depending, let's say I do 50 events a year. I get to sit in 50 of the best classrooms in the world. Um, and if I'll pay attention and ask good questions and listen, I get to learn, okay, here's how Walmart is doing their international structure. Here's how this small software company is scaling. Here's how, and I would say the change, like the biggest, the biggest change I'm seeing, I keep calling 2021 the year of the heart because for 10 years as a leadership speaker, one of my favorite questions to ask before I speak, I always do a pre-call to kind of get a sense of how I'm going to serve the audience is I'll say, if you think about a keynote, like a spectrum, and on one end is the word instruction and one end is the word inspiration. Where do you want the keynote to land? And it helps the client go, oh, you know what? We want it to be 40 this, 60 this. And I would say for 10 years, the answer was 70% instruction, 30% inspiration. And that has flip-flopped. Now people Interesting. are going, our people are struggling. We need 90% inspiration. We have, you know, I'll talk to corporate clients and they'll go, people are emailing us saying, hey, can I get some counseling? Like, and they'll say, we never had that language in our office. We're a software company. And now we're, and so that's been really fascinating to watch companies, um, you know, try to figure out, okay, how do we see the whole human? Because part of the problem is nobody's stopping working. They're getting emails at 5.30 a.m. and midnight because there's no stop to the workday. And we haven't given ourselves that credit. So I, it's just, yeah, but it was challenging. I started a podcast. Um, I have a podcast called All It Takes is a Goal. Um, I like to get into things the last mo- moment. Like I'm an early, like <laughs> my wife was like, you are such a late adopter. You started a podcast in 2021. Like I was like, yeah, just wait till you hear about this lady, Adele. She's so good at singing. Like you're, she's going to blow your mind. So I started a podcast. Um, I keep teaching leaders to ask this question, what would have made this season easier and then go build that. So right now, what would have made it easier? What having, what in place would have made things easier? So I knew having a podcast in place would have made it easier. Having a YouTube channel would have made it easier, you know, for a variety of reasons. Okay. Well, don't spend time in regret and beating yourself up that it took me to 2021 to get a podcast, go build a dope podcast. So a year from now, when public speaking returns and that changes, I'm going to have a foundation and a structure and a team that can really sprint because we did these things in this season. That was a long answer. No, that's a great answer. I mean, I took lots of notes there. I love the statement. I can pine or I can plan. That's man. That's helpful. Cause I think we talked about this with, with uh, Tim Keller recently of just pastors are kind of sitting around waiting. What's going to happen. You know, what, yeah. what's going to happen when the world opens back up and how do I get ready for it? I think I can pine or plan is a great principle. Um, go ahead, Todd. Well, the other thing too, um, you know, part of the reason why you're on today is you have a, a new book that has an incredible cover, by the way. Cause oh, thanks. I get a lot of books and it's on. Dude, point. I was thrilled with that one. Like I just got it and they like, they even printed the inside cover. So like the inside is gorgeous oh. too. So like it's, I was so Baker and the team there did such a good job. And actually, you know, 
to your point, Ben, like Piner Plan is what I would call a soundtrack. So I wrote this book, Soundtracks, about how, you know, which is my phrase for an, an internal thought that you hear repetitively. So like I, you know, the book is essentially about how most people don't understand they get to choose their thoughts and they don't understand that their thoughts impact their actions, which impact their results. Like even my most type A friends, my most type A leaders who lay out their clothes for the gym the night before because it knows it means they'll go to the gym the next day don't pick out their thoughts. They don't go, I got a big meeting coming up. Here's the three soundtracks I want on repeat while I'm in that meeting. Because in other meetings, I've reacted impatiently. So I want to make sure I'm listening to these three thoughts again and again and again. Most people think a thought is something you have, not something you hone. So for me, Piner Plan is a soundtrack I can listen to when I get back into that space of going, oh, I shouldn't have to do this extra work or, oh, this is frustrating or it used to be easier when it wasn't this environment. A soundtrack I can listen to and have on a note is Pine or Plan. Like I get the choice and I, and I know which one I want to make. So how do you keep from overthinking in either one of those areas, either, either the pining part or the planning part? Because I see myself doing both. Like yeah. I can churn in either one of those areas and never actually get anything done. Well, the goal of a great thought is always a great action. Like, that's the thing. Like, people tell me, like, how do you know the difference between overthinking and just being prepared? Being prepared leads to an output. Overthinking always leads to more overthinking. Like, it just, you you think more and more and more where being prepared, I see something created at the end of that. So, I know I'm stuck when I'm not launching things into the world, sharing ideas with people. There's not a finish line to it. I'm just kind of spinning. And so that, that I think for me is a really easy to sign is to go, okay, well, what came of that? What actions came of that? What results came of that? How were people able to engage with that idea? Because that means I actually was able to get some form of it into the world. Not a perfect form, but the form that was the first form. And then I'll work on it and get a second form and a third form. But that's how I know I'm in a good spot is if I can see actions that are healthy coming out of healthy thoughts. That's really good. John, I'm curious. Um, you said earlier, you've been putting a lot of thoughts to how do you engage a virtual room I think everybody's trying to figure that out. Would you be so generous just to share a few things you're learning? Yeah. So, I mean, one is you bring all the energy. When you're a live event, you bring most of it. You bring 80 to 95% of it. The audience is bringing 5% of it. There's back and forth. Special stuff is happening. You're getting amped. You're taking it quiet. Like there's a connection there. In a virtual event, you bring all the energy. That doesn't mean you scream for an hour because when you don't have peaks and valleys, even a leadership speaker who's, who's hyped for an hour, it becomes monotone. Any type of volume or communication done exclusively becomes monotone. There's peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys. So you have to admit that. The other thing is pace. You have to force pace. So when I am, you know, in a live event and I ask the audience a question, I can see people stop and kind of think. It encourages me to stop and think too. In a virtual event, I can go, so what do you think about that? And then I jump onto the next point. I gave them no pace because I can't see them. So you have to force pace. Um, you have, I just have to assume I'm killing it. Like I had a French Canadian, <laughs> I, I had a French Canadian company say to me, we want you to say this word hustle in French. And they said, if the joke falls flat, don't worry about it. I said, if the joke falls flat, I won't know. I'm assuming I am crushing for 45 <laughs> minutes. Like people are laughing and taking notes. Um, the other thing is you can't watch, like you can't look at the screen. Like you need to look at the camera, not the screen. Because sometimes what will happen is the person that's, that's the last person on the Zoom will leave the room. 
Like they want, like, it's not set up. So you're looking at an audience, you're looking at the one person who's running it. So it'd be like, if Todd left the room or is like talking to his wife and you're like, you're trying to kill this keynote. Um, and you also like, you can't look at the number of participants in the room. Cause it's like a score. Like you'll be able to see like, Oh, people left, like people are leaving. So like, <laughs> you have to really like, for me, it's like focus on the lens. And then the other thing, like for me, I try to remember like the reason I do an interview with the client is I get to ask real questions. I get to learn. I get to really serve people. And then it helps create a real person for me so that when I speak, I'm speaking to a real person. Like I'm not speaking to a conglomerate of salespeople. I'm talking to some dude who's in Topeka, Kansas, who's amazing at pop-ins. Like he's a salesman and he's the king of the pop-in. He can pop in, close a sale, use his personality. And then like overnight, pop-ins became illegal. And now he's trying to like learn in a pandemic, a new technology, which by the way, is the worst time to learn. Like you've got enough stress. And so I'm trying to speak to him. So like, if I can remember there's real people behind this camera lens, I can do it. Um, I'll tell you the fun, like the funniest thing that happened to me in the virtual event so far, I, you know, we usually get on 15 minutes before the event to make sure the sound is working. And I got on is with Hendrick Motorsports. Um, they won NASCAR last year, super successful fascinating. They look at their job as they go, we do 55 product launches a year. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, every race is a product launch. And I was like, that's brilliant. Like we're launching, they're like, Apple launches three new products a year. We launch 55 new products at 200 miles an hour every, every year. So we get on, it's the CEO, another executive and me. And then this fourth window opens up on the zoom and they go, Oh, Hey John, that's Jeff, Jeff, meet John. It was Jeff Gordon. And I was like, oh, hey, Jeff Gordon, like, cool. Like, and he said, he said, how many of these have you done? I said, 40. And he was like, oh, wow. And I said, but I'll be honest with you, Jeff, like most of them don't include Jeff Gordon's whole head. Like I said, like most of the time it's me and a comptroller, like, you know, and, and like, whoa, Jeff Gordon. So it's been fun. It's been challenging, but um, it's here to stay. I think every live event from this point on will have a hybrid kind of approach. Like you've done events forever. Like, Live stream was always like the forgotten, annoying thing that you're like, oh, don't forget to flip the switch for the seven people watching the stupid live stream that's not going to work. And those days are over. I, what I've seen from event planners is they're saying, you know what? We think decision makers will come back first, like people who are there to make decisions in the space and that need to be in the space. And then we'll see like people on the fringes that are watching the video vir you know, virtually and are in engaging that way. So I think it's going to be interesting. One of the things that I think is super interesting about talking to you right now that I've picked up on while watching is you are using a ton of nonverbal. This, this screen, you are taking up every, yeah. every bit of the screen, but that's part of the energy, is it? Isn't it? What's part of the energy. And the other thing is that when I do a virtual event, I'm standing like there's a backdrop, like one of the simple ways you break it from this is another normal zoom meeting is you stand up and you go, well, duh, that's the simplest thing ever. It is, but you'd be amazed how many people are like looking at the wrong spot or they're sitting. And so like I'm standing and we're like, we're deliberate about that. I don't get to walk as much as I'd like to, like when I'm on stage, I like to kind of move around, but yeah, so you're still trying to make it visual and, and you're still trying to have fun with it. You're still trying to like, that, that's the other thing is like, you still want it to be enjoyable and memorable and engaging and most zoom meetings aren't. So you, you kind of have to go, okay, well, how do I amplify it in a way, um, that's again, exciting, but not overwhelming. So what I was trying to pull out there is if events moving forward are going to be a hybrid model and, and of course church, that means church as well. That means sure. your Sunday morning service. Um, 
is is there a, a greater need to, I don't know, I don't want to say exaggerate, uh, exaggerate your movements, but. No, I don't want you. I don't think, I mean, I think authenticity, whether it's via camera or whether it's live is still better than, than inauthenticity. So like for me, I like to communicate that way, but right. I, I think the better question is like, as a church, you should never go, wow, we're not good at communicating virtually unless you've had training. Of course you're not. You've never done it. Like I keep telling parents that are like, oh, I'm having a hard time with virtual school. I'm like, yeah, you should suck at it. You've never done You're probably terrible at hang gliding. So like I would say to every church, if you know, I mean, that's a simple question. Have you trained your speakers on how to perform in front of a camera? If the answer is no, then why do you think they'll be good at performing in front of a camera? Like just because we all own cameras on our phones and do selfies doesn't mean we know how to structure a message differently and perform it and share it and be engaging. I mean, I, I remember somebody told me a trick. They said, um, if you want to get better at, at your hand move, movements, watch yourself speak with the sound off. And like, you'll pick up into like, damn, what am I trying to land a plane? I'm like flapping, like, what am I doing? Because you take away the audio and you can really see like, wow, these hands, they're not the right way. Um, so for me, I think little tricks like that matter, but I would just, yeah, I would say to every pastor, every leader that has to be on camera, like give yourself some grace, like, and like figure out, okay, who do we know that's good at that? And ask them questions. Like somebody in your church, like, I don't know what percent of churches have a weatherman in them, but like somebody in your church <laughs> is good on camp. Like, I don't, maybe Barna has that stat. I don't know. That'd be so obscure. Um, um, but like somebody's good on camera. Even if that person came in, did a 10 minute, like, Hey, here's what I do. Like, imagine that as a staff meeting, like right. to say like, Hey, here's what, like, I think that'd be amazing. John, let me, let me fire into some of our leadership questions we have. We like to ask people. Sure. Uh, when I go to a conference and a guy stands up and says, here's the three things I've done well, and I'm going to teach you how to do it. I'm less interested than when a guy stands up and says, here's three big mistakes I've made. Yeah. What are yours? Like leadership failures, when you look back and you think rookie mistake, or I'm embarrassed I did that or said that, what are yours? Um, or so just my give first, us one. I'll give you two because I'm generous. My first podcast failed um, about two years ago because I showed up with entitlement. Um, I would like somebody please write a book about the entitlement of being a pastor's kid. Cause like, good grief. Like that is such a sneaky, pervasive sense of entitlement. The first time I went to church in college, I remember going, why isn't everybody excited that I'm here? Cause my <laughs> entire childhood, it was a big deal when the pastor's kid showed up. And like, I had like, so I have this entitlement left over from being a pastor's kid. I'm like, oh, I need Jesus, like take the wheel. Um, but I showed up to my first <laughs> podcast with this idea of like, I'm John Acuff. I got Instagram followers. Like I got a book. I'm New York Times bestseller. I don't have to work hard at it. I'll just like, I'll just riff. And like, it was garbage. So I would say like, it was lazy. It was garbage. I didn't, I didn't um, create a good product because I was thinking, oh, I, I shouldn't have to work hard at this. So that was a, that was a definite leader mistake, leadership mistake, which is why like my new podcast, I'm working my butt off. And here's the crazy thing. It's working really well. Like people are really enjoying it. Um, go figure. The, the second leadership mistake was this one. I wish was a long time ago. This was like, this was last Tuesday, I think is when I did this. <laughs> um, so I was really stressed about the book coming out. It's stressful. Like it's hard to release a book in a pandemic, like where no live events. The thing I've spent 12 years of my career getting good at live events don't exist. Okay, well now I got to figure something out. Book comes out April 6th. I show up in this meeting. The meeting's like five minutes late to start. Everybody's chit-chatting. I'm like, let's go, let's go. Like I get really abrupt and really sarcastic and really short and just a jerk. 
And so then my project manager, I see her at church and she's great friends with my wife, which is, which is trouble for me. So it's the three of the, the three of us are standing there. And she goes, Hey, um, the note I took from that meeting was I wish John would show up before his impatience did. And I was like, Oh, and she was like, you deflated the whole room. There were, you know, like you ruined that meeting and cost us six other meetings by your attitude and by being a jerk. Like, and that sucked to hear, but she was right. Like she was a hundred percent right. So then like, so then for, so for me, um, I share that I'm in an entrepreneur's prayer group, um, every Monday and they're all like, they have all huge businesses. And I shared that and they are all like, Oh man, I do the same thing. And then, and so it's like helped other people. And then I had the meeting with my team and I was like, Hey, look, here's the deal. Like, cause one of my team members said, I'm the only one who can tell you these things, these hard truths. I was like, no, Amy can. And I told them the story of us being at church. And then I apologized to the people I've been rude to. And I was like, that wasn't you. That had nothing to do with you. That was my stress coming out in the wrong place in this space because I'm stressed about something that had nothing to do with this meeting. And I was a jerk and I apologize. And like that, yeah, that that's a leadership mistake. I made like last week. And so like that stinks, but that I, I saw fruit come from the, the act of apologizing. And I was so thrilled that I have a project manager who cares about me enough to tell me the truth. Like that meant the world to me. That's good. That's good. So what book would you gift yourself as a leader then? If you could go back and, and, and early on, gift yourself a book. It could be an older book or a newer book. I mean, my favorite is always like the dip. I love the dip. Um, I really, Seth Godin's the dip was one that like stuck with me. Um, I still think about it. It's really short. Um, and then the other one that I'm like, I'm, I'm really loving is Eugene Peterson's um, leap over a wall. Um, it's about the life of David and how complicated, like, what do we do with that? Cause dude, there's this sense that like, as a leader, now you've got it figured out. And like, what do you do with David's life? Like that dude is a wreck, like consistently, like great highs, great lows. Like, what do you do with it? And I love that tension of like, there's gonna, you know, I remember death by suburb I read once. Um, and I will never forget. He said, I prayed to God that he'd take away my anger. Um, and all he did was make me better at apologizing. I was like, Oh, that's so good. <laughs> like, it's so good. And so like the dip from my, like, how do I, how do I create the right things? How do I push through the difficult moments, leap over a wall? Cause I think that like, I don't know. I I'm always fascinated by like, why do leaders fail? Like, why do they blow it up? Like why, like, and how do you not? And I asked somebody that the other day who studies that and his answer surprised me. He said, it's two things. And one I knew, but one surprised me. He said, it's isolation. They don't have real people in their life. And he said, the second thing is they don't have a life-giving hobby. And that one caught me off guard. And I thought that is great. So now I'm curious, like, as a leader, how do you deliberately have hobbies where you're not excellent and you're not proficient and you're not on the, the scorecard? Because I think as a leader, if your whole identity becomes the thing you're leading, like, it's game over, dude. Game over. That's good, man. And I think in this pandemic time, getting a hobby and having something to take your mind off leadership is really healthy too. Uh, John, you probably have a lot of guys that come to you and guys and gals, both who are looking to become speakers or public speakers. What advice do you give young people who are aspiring to such a role? Um, I mean, I, I, I think there's a bunch of things I say. One is like, go create great content. Like don't rush past the content part because you could become a good performer, but there's nothing behind it. Like, I think that we've all seen a speaker where like, they're really talented, they're really charismatic, but what does that mean? 
Like what is, what's behind that? So I think the, the idea of like, okay, how do I create good content? How do I spend time alone to create something that when I'm with somebody, it's actually rich. I'm never forget um, Al Andrews, who's in Nashville, just a genius. Um, He asked me one day, he was like, Hey, is it ever hard for you to have an idea and not share it immediately? And I was like, yeah, not only that, like, but which platform is it going on Twitter? Is it going on speech? Is it going, he goes, well, you've got a keg party lifestyle right now with your ideas. Like people are coming in and they're getting ideas and ideas and ideas. And he said, but you need some wine ideas. You need some ideas that you put in a bottle and put on a shelf and you let them sit and you let them change and you only share them with a handful of people and you have some ideas that are wine ideas. And so that really convicted me. So the idea of like letting an idea mature, letting it be nurtured, letting it be changed, um, that's, that's one thing I do. And then the other thing I'd say is I'd probably say, be a, you know, be a collector of ideas. One of the things I put in the, uh, my new book soundtracks is my favorite definition of creativity is by Dorothy Parker. And she said, creativity is a wild mind and a disciplined eye. So the wildness is you fill your head with all these different ideas. So some, a question your kid asked you, something you heard on the radio, something somebody in the lobby of your church said, a Bible passage that said, we were like men who dreamed, Psalm 126.1. And you have all these wild ideas and then you have the discipline to see the connection between them and share them in a way somebody hasn't before. So that's how I try to communicate. So if you ever go to one of my keynotes, it's like, Okay, here's something I learned at Bose when we launched a speaker system. Here's a joke about Dr. Dre that's getting your, it's going to catch you off guard completely. Here is a shortcut to, you know, that I learned from my wife about leadership. Like even today, the stories I've been telling are interconnected and go multiple. Like the idea of my podcast failed and last week I failed aren't connected, but they're kind of wild mind disciplined eyes. So I would say go be a collector and a, you know, a curator of great ideas. Um, Cause I think you'll be able to build your own ideas out of that. No matter how many people you have on staff at your church, there's only so much you can accomplish in a day, right? Your church exists to serve your community. So the mission of your church and its staff is to reach as many people as you can. That's why productivity is essential for churches as most of your church's success lies in its ability to lean into and leverage resources for optimum performance. And thankfully, our friends at Belay know this well. Belay is an innovative staffing solution with over 10 years of experience serving churches, and they have successfully matched thousands of organizations with part-time virtual assistants, bookkeepers, and social media strategists. That's why they're offering our listeners a free download of their resource, Church Leaders, Essential Strategies to Unleash Productivity. Let Belay help your church live its mission in your community by helping you juggle less and accomplish more. Just go to Belay, that's B-E-L-A-Y, solutions.com slash lifeway for your free download. So if you could teach a course on any topic, what would it be? I, I kind of experienced this a little bit because I don't know if you remember, but I was, I was at five club. Yeah. That was a long day. time ago. That was crazy. It's like um, 10 years ago, man. Yeah. So I've man, my hair is so dark. Um, <laughs> so here's, here's what I'd say. Like right now, this is crazy. So we, uh, we realized there's no live events and I'm like, okay, there's no live events, but I really want to get this book to as many people as possible. So I have this friend who's a genius who goes, here's what you're going to do. He said, you're going to do five days of live teaching in a Facebook group. 
every day for an hour, you're going to teach live. And he's like, and it's going to be great stuff. It's going to be like, you're going to work your butt off on it. And it's a, we're going to call it the overcoming overthinking challenge. So we, we put it out there and 9,200 people sign up for it. And I like the conversation, like, and they come and they watch the videos and they engage and they ask these questions that are just amazing. Like this, this woman said, okay, my broken soundtrack is I'm lonely. I'm lonely. I'm lonely. And I said, well, why don't we change that? Let's flip that to I'm built for people. Cause I'm lonely. You're using as a criticism. I'm built for people is an admission. And then you go get to build community. And like, or another lady was like, how do I get over imposter syndrome? Like a lot of leaders feel that a lot of leaders feel, you know, I'm an imposter. They're going to find out how to, you know, what if they catch me, whatever they'll, I'm not qualified enough. And I was like, well, you don't say over, you say through it's how do I go through imposter syndrome? Cause over is a word of perfection. And it has a finality to it as if you climb over a wall once and it's not, you go through it. I've written seven books. I've New York Times bestseller. I still feel like I'm not a real writer some days. I have imposter syndrome. And so like, that's the thing I teach because I just taught it and it was amazing. And like, like the feedback that like the, the audience was willing to go with it and they're just so generous with their ideas. I mean, like one of the sessions, um, this lady said, I'll never get my finances right. And I said, I think you need to trade the word never for one year. Because never, anytime you hear the word never or always or everyone, it's probably a broken soundtrack. I was like, what if you gave yourself the gift of a year? I said, this year, I'm going to work on that. And somebody in the group said, I think we should have never swear jars. Every time we say the word never, we put a quarter in a jar. And I was like, a never swear jar? Like, <laughs> that's amazing. Like, that's not my idea. That's just the generosity of the community. So that's the course um, that I'm just loving teaching right now. John, I want to go back to something you said earlier that I think church leaders who are listening would want to hear. You mentioned how you got to bring all the energy to the room in a virtual environment. I think a lot of pastors have struggled through this season because you're just not getting a lot of feedback to your weekly sermons and whatnot. Also, you know, whether we like it or not, a room full of people is encouraging to us. Ah, it's and awesome. You don't have people and feedback. You feel like a failure, like nobody's listening. They're checked out. It's a coffee house atmosphere. They're coming in and out of the virtual environment. How do you think, how do you think pastors should expect going forward? I know virtual is going to be a piece of it, but do we need to just be prepared for the fact that rooms are going to be less filled because some people are going to be online? Do we just need to go ahead and mentally prepare for that? I think you, I think you need to admittedly like admit, like it's not, you don't enjoy it. I think like get rid of the pastor guilt of like, I should, I should love serving sheep regardless of how the sheep are situated. Like, ugh, like, no, like call another pastor friend and be like, dude, all I was trying to do is get the camera guy to laugh and he didn't break. We have hired the most <laughs> stoic AV team in the world. They are giving, they are removing emotion from me. Like, I think you need to admit that. Like, that's the first thing. I think we do ourselves so much damage where we go, no, it's fine. It's as long as I know that the gospel is going forth, I don't care about the inner, like, no, like be honest. Like, yeah, this is hard. This is challenging. So I think that's the first thing. Um, but then I think you have to try to find like new ways to win. Um, so for me, like if I was really like, okay, man, I have to film these sermons all the time and it's really challenging. Like I might try to, if I could change the location, like I might try to have some of the joy be in the location. I might say, you know, like part of like, we're joking about Todd's background. Like that would be depressing to film in. And you like, you should feel depressed in that. Like, but if you said like, as a pastor, where does it say you can't say to your team a month out, like it doesn't, I'm not talking about you're hanging from the top of a building, but like, okay, I want some of the space to be the joy. Like I'm not getting any audience joy. 
why can't the space be some of the joy? So I'm going to find somebody in our church that has a beautiful farm and I'm going to get to spend an hour standing somewhere beautiful. Like, and I'm going to, you know, like even the rocks will cry out. So I think the space can help, but I think you have to change your goals. One of the most damaging things you can do to yourself right now is compare this current situation to your goals a year ago or two years ago. It's just not fair. Um, like there was no degree of hustle that I could have had those 50 events not cancel. Like there was no good of like positive thinking, like that happened. So I needed to come up with some new goals. So if I was a pastor, I would say, if it were me, I'd probably make a list of the 10 things I love the most about the speaking part of my job. And I would see how many of those can I find a version of in the new way? Like maybe it's not the forever way, but in the new way, how can I like, where's some overlap? Like, even if you said, if you said to your friend, who's the best laugher and the most engaged person, I know this is going to be awkward. But would like every now and then, would you come to one of my filmings? Like it would just help me to have somebody to talk to. Like they would be honored at that request. Like I think sometimes we're doing it the most difficult way possible. Like, and if you, so like stack the odds in your favor. If it ever feels like you're cheating because it's feeling too easy, you're on the right track. The only one who says that you're cheating is the enemy. God is never mad when you make it easier. Like he says, it's light and easy. I'll make it light and easy. And then we make it as difficult as possible because we think, this is how I have to do it. Nah, I'd find ways to make it real easy. That's really good. That's really good. That reminds me of the, uh, Todd, when we had the conversation with Carrie Newhoff, just talking a little bit about how, you know, we've got to embrace the new day that it's going to, it's just going to be different. Virtual is here to stay and we've got to adjust and find new ways to win. I love that. I love that language. It's good. So I want to go back to dark haired John. Uh, what advice would you give to young leaders, you know, college age, just coming out of college, seminary guys, um, what advice would you give them about, you know, ministry and leadership? And then what is common advice that they should probably ignore? Um, I would, I would say surround yourself with people that are further down the path, ask them questions. And when they share something that's true, listen to it and then actually act on it. Like I would, you know, I'm not saying you have to go find a perfect mentor. I think we put a lot of mentor um, pressure on people. Like you're going to find one person that you have coffee with for the rest of your life. And then like, it's a Tuesdays with Maury situation. Like, right. I just mean, find somebody in your circle that you go, man, they're 15 years ahead of me. I'm going to ask them three good questions. And like, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue that. Um, like, because like, and that's what, like, that was one of the greatest gifts. Brad Lominick, um, probably 12 years ago, 15 years ago. I, when stuff Christians like started to grow, I reached out to him and he was kind enough to let me buy him dinner at Chili's. Like that was the amount of money I had to ball out on. I was like, <laughs> baby back ribs. It's on me, dude. Don't worry. Like, I don't, you know, like, and so I asked him questions and he was so kind to go, well, here's something you need to think about. Here's something you need to challenge about. So that, that's one of the things I'd say. Um, the other thing I'd say is like, learn to like, learn to um, express your feelings and share your feelings. Like I, I have a friend of mine um, that we spend, we go on walks, like, once a week, 90 minute walks in the woods. Like I think walks had a huge 2020. Like you talk about a thing that did really well in 2020 people went walks. <laughs> and I told him the other day, I was like, man, um, he said, how are you doing? I said, ah, it's just, you know, this week I, I, I remember it and was exposed to this opportunity that I had missed out on. And it ended up being a big opportunity and I feel like a failure and I feel sad about it. And I feel anxious about it. Like I've maybe missed my one shot. And then he goes, well, what would you have had more of if you had taken that opportunity than you do now? I was like, oh, that's a really good question. And then he said, if you had taken that opportunity, would you have gone deeper into your heart or deeper into your ego? 
And I didn't have to think for a second to know the answer, like my ego. And he said, well, then that makes me sad because I don't think you would have valued these walks and I would have missed out on this friendship. I didn't have the vocabulary to say that as a young person. So if you could say, if you could go back and wave a magic wand, I wish as a 25 year old, I knew that I got to say, I'm scared, I'm lonely, I'm confused, I'm sad. I don't have to have it all together. Because when you share in relationship, honestly, you get to receive gifts. Him saying that to me was a gift. And my concern is that leaders learn pretty early on. They can't say those things. And then they send 20, 30, 40 years not saying those things. And it just builds this massive amount of isolation. And they miss so many different gifts that if they could say those things, they'd be blown away. All right. Is there any advice, any common advice that that you got or, or you are familiar with that you would say, oh, I should probably ignore that? Um, I just, you know, I, I don't think everyone needs a platform. Like, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think everyone does. I think a lot of people, they're great for it. I don't, you know, I don't think, I don't think social media is always good for everyone. Like, I don't like, I think there's times for us to be like, oh, I just got to check out. Like, I got to not do this. So I think sometimes we tell young people, like, you got to be everywhere all the time immediately. And just like going like, no, like I would, I would tell like when people would be like, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. I would be like, I hope not. Cause I'm 24. That means if I miss it, I got like 50 more years of work. Just not good. Like <laughs> at 24, like, you know, like I would tell people, I would tell the 24 year old to me to be really brave versus really overly responsible. Cause I think sometimes we go, you gotta be responsible where like I go, if you make a mistake, and three years later, look up and it, the thing you tried to do with a full heart with God didn't work. You're 27. Like you have so much runway versus like, you know, like, no, this is, you got to go at this pace. Got to do this. Like, I think like be brave at that age because the costs are different when you're in your mid forties. John, one last question on that. You, you mentioned not everybody needs a platform. I do think it's a, a new day with social media in terms of, how do you, how do you recommend to young people uh, the value of social media, the value of creating your personal brand? Uh, it has become such a full atmosphere of so many different people trying to say like, what is the best use of social media going forward for somebody who does want to be an influencer, but perhaps doesn't want to get caught up in the noise? I think, I think the question is to ask why, like if, you know, like most of the time we just go, you got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it. And I think if you go, but why? Like, what, like, what does it lead to? Like, what am I trying to do? Like, what am I trying to build? Like what, you know, like I, you know, somebody asked me that they're like, what if, uh, what if your hobby turns into your career? Is it still a hobby? I said, no way. Like writing for me, like writing now is different than it was when it was just me writing in a journal. It is, there's pressure, there's book releases. There's so like, I need hobbies outside of that. So the same thing is like, if you decide you're going to build a platform as part of your career, admit that and then put some boundaries around that. Cause it's not, it's no longer like every church in America should have a sit down with their staff and go, Hey, you're the youth pastor. And that comes with different eyeballs. And that comes with different consideration. Like, it's no, like, I know you're like, whenever somebody says my views don't represent my organization, I'm like, that is the biggest lie on the internet. They do. <laughs> like nobody goes, we were super mad at that church, but he put in his Twitter bio, my views don't represent the organization. Woo. So that like, no, they do. So like, that's the, that's the thing is that like, 
my heart hurts for this generation and the mistakes they're making that are going to travel with them for the rest of their lives. Like I didn't, it's not that I was a wise 13 year old. I didn't have the public forum to leave a gingerbread trail back to my worst moments. Like, but that's the culture we live in. Like the, you know, like we could go so many different ways with cancel culture, but I'm always like, oh, like cancel culture to me is the opposite of the gospel. Like cancel culture and the story of the prodigal son is a short story. The prodigal asked for his dad's money, the end. Like, and so like, I would just caution young leaders like, hey, I know you don't think this has a long tail. It has a long tail. Why are you doing it? What about like, is it feeding some of your brokenness? Like for me, there's times like I had a counselor say that he was like, you're making idols out of your followers and you're using your worth based on how many followers you have. And like, so I have to keep that in check. That's not, that's not easy. I just, you know, back to another thing, my buddy Al says like the human soul is not designed for fame. And I think that's real true. And I think that we see when people forget that and like, I've only had a small degree of it, like a tiny little bit of it. And it is intoxicating. Like the first time you get recognized at a restaurant, the next time you go to a restaurant, you're like, who here is about to recognize me? And like <laughs> that just happens. Like, so I, I want to, you know, like I want to pat, like, fortunately I have a project manager that's like, Hey, you were jerked to those 10 people. And I'm like, Oh, I was shoot. And then I, you know, but like that, that's something I'd say is like, it always has a cost. Like social media always has a cost. Um, and the first cost is it's using your most valuable non-renewable resource, which is time. The second cost is it encourages you to, you know, perform in a way you might not naturally if you were just having a conversation with somebody. Um, and I, I just think it, I think it isolates too. That's my, that's the thing I'm worried about the next generation is like the, the amount of isolation we've practiced for the last year is going to have emotional heart costs for generations. Well, man, I want to thank you for spending time with us today. Uh, I do, I do think that when we look at, um, when, when we look at coming out of this, that we are finding for me, the most helpful thing that you share with us today was about the planning and the pining piece. Um, and how you can overthink even one. So I'm not like directly trying to tell people, Hey, go buy this book. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I am, I'm directly <laughs> telling them that that's totally, I, that's exactly what I'm doing. I uh, and listen to my podcast. I would uh, <laughs> like, if you liked this today, check out all it takes is a goal. John Acuff, let's do it. Is there, is there one more thing from that, from that book that, that you would say, when you look at the pining and the planning thing, man, that is a gold nugget to pull out. Is there one more nugget that you would pull out as, I a, think as a good example? There, you should ask any repetitive thought, not every thought, cause we have too many thoughts, but like every loud soundtrack, three questions. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it kind? And if it's not, you should probably change it. That's good. That's good. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for being with us again. Uh, and it's been a pleasure being, um, having you on the podcast. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. It's fun. Um, I, I, I went to an exotic pet show, um, after I think the second time. It was amazing, we right? Together. It was amazing. You were right. It's like a zoo. You walk in and it's an lie. animal and a people zoo. Like it's two <laughs> types of zoos. 
the greatest, one of the greatest experiences of all time. I took three of my kids and they still talk about it today. Dude, it was like three bucks too. Like it's for, you are like, I should be giving you more money, sir. It is, dude, there's no other place where you can see a piece of paper that has a price for a coyote on it. And you're like, I don't know, maybe a bobcat instead. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, so thank you guys so much for listening. If you've enjoyed uh, parts of this conversation today, please hop on to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Thank you.